0: If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Revelation in chapter 9. If you're visiting, we're working our way through the book of Revelation. We have passed the seven seals, and we're into the seven trumpets being introduced to the last three, which are called the woe trumpets. Each of these are symbols of judgment, which God in the future will pour out on the earth History is a measuring line of what God is doing in the world and prophecy just tells us in advance what God is going to do as He measures out His wrath on the world. And in Revelation chapter 9 verse 1, the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. I want to speak to you on opening up the pit of hell. Because what is described here is a period of time in the future in which God pulls back the restraining forces of evil to allow them on the world as He brings judgment to a conclusion and prepares for the rule and the reign of Christ and then the end, the consummation of everything the consumption of the world by fire, and then our life with Him forever and ever in glory. What this message is really about as we look at these seals, the woe seals, because in the last verse of chapter 5, or chapter 8 rather, there is the the fourth, after the fourth trumpet, there is the eagle which flies through the air in John's vision and says, woe, woe, woe. To the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet and what this is about is the growing progression of evil in the world that the fact is and you're not going to turn this tide by political power or by financial power the fact is that evil will continue to wax worse and worse And sin will continue to abound, and the forces of evil will continue to expand, and the world will get worse until the end of time. And when God's cup of wrath is full, Christ will come and rule on this earth and put an end to things. Now, before that, the church will be taken out of the earth. But I want you to understand that evil grows worse and worse. There are some things that I can tolerate now that I could not tolerate when I was 25 years of age. I am more tolerant of people, probably, than I was when I was 25. When I was 25, I had the world by the tail and let's get on with it and do it. And if you don't want to do it, I'll do it and I can do it. And I'll show you I can do it and just dare me and I'll show you and prove to you that I can. But as I get older, I realize how much I need other people. And I don't want to do everything nor can I do everything. And everybody here over 50 said, well, you're being very truthful today. My, what the rain does for you. But at my age, there are some things I still don't tolerate. Now, I know this is weird, but I cannot tolerate a dirty windshield on a car. That's just one of the things I cannot tolerate. If I'm going to drive, I want to be able to see out of the car. Now, I can take a one-half-cent squirt of Windex on my windshield and two paper towels, and wash that windshield inside and out, and the, whole, I promise you the car runs better. I get better mileage. It steers better. It stops better. Everything about that car is better. How many of you are like that? Anybody else like that? And so before I go anywhere, I look at that windshield. I want to wash that windshield. Now, Now, there are times my wife thinks that's crazy, but the car actually runs better. You get those bugs off the windshield, there's less wind wind resistance, and the car just sails down the highway. I cannot tolerate long a dirty windshield or dirty windows on a car. But the fact is for most of us, there is a characteristic of our nature that makes us increasingly tolerant of sin. And but for the presence of the Holy Spirit and the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, most of us in this building would tolerate far more sin than the holiness of God ought to allow. That's true, I think, for four basic reasons. First, as we experience more things in life, there is a slight hardening of the conscience. It's a natural thing. It just comes about. It's the nature of human nature. Our conscience gets a little bit, little bit harder. I was thinking of the other day, as I saw a homeless man standing on a corner with a sign, We'll work for food. And the first thing I did at this corner was I looked around, and there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken with a Help Wanted sign. And there was a Hardee's with a Help Wanted sign. And there was a McDonald's with a Help Wanted sign. And if you really want to work, I wanted to roll down the window and say to him, walk 50 feet in any direction and you can have a job. And then I thought, wait a minute. I don't really know the story behind that man. Sometimes we get more tolerant of sin because of the hardening of the conscience. Sometimes it happens because of growing familiarity with sin. You can get so familiar with sin that it no longer has an effect on you. Sometimes we get more tolerant of sin because of the quenching of the Spirit. When we keep putting the Spirit off, He doesn't bother us as much as He used to. Invite me once for a stake, and if I can't come, invite me twice for a stake, and if I can't come, you'll think twice about inviting me the third time, and if I can't come, you'll think three times about inviting me the fourth because I've quenched you. But there's a fourth reason why we get more tolerant towards sin, even though sin grows. And that is the enjoyment of sin. You know, the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin, but it's only for a what class? Do you remember? Season. Only for a season. Don't ever let anybody tell you there's no pleasure in sin. Now, I don't have much experience, but if you do, would you confess Is there pleasure in sin? Some sins have great pleasure. And we get pleasured over sin. And we get familiar with sin. And we quench the spirit and he leaves us alone. And we harden our conscience. And in this passage, in the middle of the tribulation, the trumpets show the progression of evil and why Evil progresses that way. And there are six elements that contribute to the growth and the progression of evil. There are six elements. And you need to keep this in mind as we look at this chapter. Sometimes the judgment that falls on the earth is the wrath of the devil. And sometimes the judgment that falls on the earth is the wrath of God. There is the wrath of God and there is the wrath of the devil. And God controls both and allows at his permission for his wrath to be unleashed upon the world. Because God's wrath, remember, is not an emotional reaction to something bad he sees. It is a settled conviction that he will judge sin, which is opposed to his holy nature. And so you have to keep that in mind. Now, the first element in this fifth trumpet, which affects the growth of evil is the leadership of the forces of evil. Now look in verse 1. I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Now, notice that this is a great star, and a star is fallen. It describes action that is already done. I don't think this is quite as great a star. It's a different kind of a star than the one that fell, the wormwood star that fell earlier in the chapter. But he represents... The control of Satan and the star falling from heaven, which has fallen, already fallen, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit. So that this is, in verse 11, the king of the forces that come out of the bottomless pit. And his name in the Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek it is Apollyon. And those words mean destroyer. So the leader of the forces of evil that come out of this bottomless pit is called Abaddon, not Aladdin, Abaddon. Just wanted to make you aware of that. Apollyon, which means destroyer. He is the destroyer. So all the forces of evil have a leader, and that leader is locked in the struggle to demonstrate his power over you and over the world. And the force of evil has a king, a leader, who is a mastermind. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent, but he is a mastermind. He has a plan because he's trying to duplicate everything God does. He has a plan for evil. And just as God has a plan for righteousness in your life, The leader of the forces of evil has a plan for evil for your life. And he would love to work out that plan in your life. And now to him is given, in the middle of this tribulation, you think the devil is rampant in the world today? You think the devil is loose in the world today? Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. If you're unsaved and you're here during that tribulation period, you haven't seen anything yet. When the forces of the pit of hell are all unleashed on this world, evil will abound even more than it is today. On one of his Prairie Home Companion programs, Garrison Keeler tells a story about a parade in Lake Wobegan. Do you remember that? The parade? Carl Kre- uh, Carla Krebsbach is... Um, is, the, uh, um, is the, the Miss Lake Wobegon, and she is riding down the main street in a parade in a white strapless gown in a Sherman tank. Does anybody remember that? And as she is riding down, her father, who didn't know the parade was that day, is coming from the other direction, and with his old pickup, he's hauling a 1937 Chevrolet Coupe That somebody had buried in their yard and used for a septic tank and he is pulling it down the street hauling it to the junkyard and he suddenly comes on a Sherman tank with his daughter dressed in a white strapless gown and he didn't know that the parade was today and neither of them can turn around there's not space for them to turn around And there's a face-off between his daughter in the Sherman tank and the white gown and him pulling a 37 Chevy Coupe that was a septic tank in somebody's yard. And they can't turn and they look at each other and wonder who will blink first. Now the question is in that crazy story, and if you like Garrison Keillor, you know how those stories have a lot of... I mean, you got to think your way through them, right? But the symbolism is the forces of evil versus the forces of good. And if you listen to Garrison Keeler long enough, you can see that that is, a, uh, that is a theme in a lot of his stories. He's one of the greatest storytellers in America. But he's illustrating what is true for all of us. As evil grows, as evil grows, we don't quite know what to do with it. The government is built on the idea that we can make men better, more money, more education. I've got news for you folks. The nature of human nature is such nothing short of a moral and spiritual transformation can change man. And you can spend money, all the money you want, you will not change nature unless you get inside man and change him from the inside out. So there's the leadership of the forces of evil, and it's growing, and it's growing, and it's growing. And in the tribulation period, this star, fallen from heaven, is given the key to the bottomless pit, and we know that he's like a king over the locusts that come out of the pit, and his name is Abaddon and Apollyon. Now the second thing we need to understand is this. We need to understand that affecting the growth and the progression of evil is the source of the forces of evil. And here it is, verse 2. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, out of this great furnace of the pit, and I'm going to explain that to you in a minute. Come smoke. It's like the smoke that rose up over the destruction of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like the smoke that came out when God spoke to uh, Abraham. It is the smoke of judgment. It is the smoke out of the fire of judgment. And it is the bottomless pit. And the bottomless pit or the abyss is where the the uh, demon, demonic forces of all time have been chained and reserved until final judgment. Now, take your Bibles and I want to show you exactly what this means. Let's start in Luke chapter 8 verse 31. And follow with me because you need to understand this about evil. There is in this day a restriction on evil. God has evil in the can to a certain point. And as violent as things are and as bad as crime is, it will get worse before it gets better. That's the message of the book of Revelation. In Luke chapter 8, do you remember that when Jesus... Uh, cast the demons into the pigs in the country of the Gadarenes in verse 36. There was a man who had demons for a long time, verse 27. And when the demons, when Jesus came, the demons cried out with a loud voice in verse 28, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And when the spirit came out of the man, he asked him in verse 30, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they, look at this, the demons begged him that he would not command them to go out into the what? They did not want to go back into this abyss, into this pit where demons were reserved and chained. They did not want to go out. So they begged. A herd of many swine was feeding on the mountain, and they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. I have a sermon on this. I call it Deviled Ham. But... I won't preach it to you this morning. So there's the abyss. We don't want to go back into the abyss. Move on, if you will, to Luke chapter 16 and verse 26. Now notice, do you remember in the story of the rich man and Lazarus? I don't believe it's a parable. I think it's a story. I think it happened. But in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, do you remember that Lazarus, he cried in verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. The rich man did and cool my tongue for I am tormented. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, now watch this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So up to the time of Revelation 9, the restriction on these demons in this pit, in this abyss, they're chained, we'll see that again, they are reserved, there is a great gulf fixed, and that gulf is removed, and all the forces of this pit of hell are unleashed on the world. Now just suppose today that... All of Forsyth County Jail was emptied. And everybody in Central Prison in Raleigh was released. And in North Carolina, every prisoner was suddenly released. You know what Chief Sweat says? That the problem is 80% of the crime is committed by only 6% of the people that he ever arrests. But they arrest them over and over and over and over again. Some of you policemen know that's true. You, you know that better than I. Byron, is that true? Would you say that's, that's pretty close to truth? Now imagine if all the demonic forces of all time are loosed on this world at once. And so the source is this abyss. Now go to 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter, if you will. And you'll see another reference. In 2 Peter, there is a description uh, of these. And uh, you'll see it in verse 4. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for what class? Judgment. All the fallen angels of all time... Have been chained in the abyss, chained in the pit until the day of judgment. Now, if you read that, you might not think so, but when you match this with the book of Revelation, now you see that the judgment will come as the forces of evil are unleashed and unloosed on the world. And if that is not enough, go on, if you will, to the little book of Jude. I'll give you 20 minutes to find it. But if you can find Revelation, it's right in front of it. But in the book of Jude, there's another reference here. In verse 6, the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Do you know right now there is a place called Tartarus or hell? There is a place where all the fallen angels of all time, the worst demonic forces of all time, are chained and reserved and kept, and God holds them undercover in that abyss with a great gulf between us so that they cannot come from here to there except by divine permission, but one day the top will be taken off and they will be unleashed on this world. You know, when I was studying for this, when I came to that part and I saw how forceful that was in the Scripture consistently, I stopped to pray for my grandchildren. Oh, God, if you don't come and rapture the church out of this world, how will you protect the families of the righteous? Now, that's a question, and I'm going to answer it before we're done. But that is why you want your children and your grandchildren to be soaked in truth. You want them to know the truth of God. You want them to have the seal of God because in this day, the only thing that will protect them is the seal of God if they, if they are not saved when Christ comes. They can be saved in the tribulation as tribulation saints, but the only thing that will protect them is the seal of God because the world will be even more violent, more filled with crime than it is right now. So I want you to understand first that there is leadership with a master plan over evil, the forces of evil. And secondly, see the source of the forces of evil. But third, I want you to notice the restraints on the sources of evil. There are restraints on evil in every age, and here they are. Back to Revelation chapter 9. These appear to be locusts in verse 3, but we'll see in a moment that they represent, the locusts are symbolic in my judgment. But look at verse 4. In verse 4, they were commanded not to harm the grass or any green thing, or any tree. But only those men... Now, read the rest of that class. ...who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They are not permitted to touch... ...people who in this age have responded to the truth of God. So, there are three restraints here on them. First, they're not permitted to touch any green thing or any tree... Verse five, they are not given authority to kill them, but only to torment. And they are given the ability to, that's the second thing, and they are given the ability to torment the earth for five months. There will be five months of incredible unleashing of sin and violence and evil in this world. An incredible, an incredible unleashing. And those restraints will be the only three on them during that period of time. And in verse 6, it says, In those days it will be so bad that men will seek death. They will want to die but can't find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Now, generally speaking, all evil is restrained by three things. It is restrained by the the presence of the Spirit of God living in godly, righteous people. We restrain evil. Secondly, evil is restrained in some way, we're going to see later in this passage, by angels. Angels restrain evil. They have the power to restrain and be restrained. And thirdly, evil is restrained by the patience of God. You remember our message last week about the mercy of God. That is the way that evil is restrained. And during this tribulation period, there'll be only three restraints. Everything else goes. They torment but don't kill. They have five months and they can't destroy any green thing or anything with the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, fourthly, notice the character of the forces of evil. Because this is the fourth element that affects the growth of evil in the world today. And that is in verse 7. Now watch this and make a list. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men with the hair like women's hair. And their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates Like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings like the sound of chariots, with many horses running into battle, and they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. Now, these are symbolic of the character of the evil forces. The locusts represent the demons released out of the abyss, and they're let loose on the world. Now notice the character. Now watch this and watch and what follow in your scripture. They were like horses in shape, symbolizing fury and power that could not be resisted. It was like no matter what was done, nothing could restrain evil. Evil is like a herd of horses that are unloosed. Secondly, their heads are like uh, crowns of gold. And so there's the appearance of independence and boldness. And it is as if people get very bold with their sin and their violence and their evil. Faces like men and hair like women would indicate weakness. That the power of evil appears to be strong, but truth is always truth in every age. And though this appears to be strong, and though it appears to have much fury evil carries its own destructive force as truth carries its own power. Notice they have teeth like lions in John's vision, indicating destruction and violence will accompany the spread of falsehood and deceit. They have breastplates of iron, consciences without pity or remorse. And in that day, men will turn to sin and do things that you would not think men were capable of doing. They have the sounds of wings like chariots indicating the, the rapid spread. They only have five months loose on the world. The rapid spread of, uh, and progress of evil. And finally, tales like scorpions. And the rapid spread of evil is accompanied by the rapid spread of untruth and falsehood and deceit in the world. And by the way, this is in the tribulation period, which leads up to the deception of of Israel. And we'll see next week the Antichrist, how the Antichrist deceives because of the rapid spread of falsehood and false doctrine. But now what does the tail mean? Each of these represents a character of evil. Let's examine the concept of the tail being a scorpion. Now hold your hand here and go back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, there is an interesting, uh, an interesting reference that we cannot overlook here. Chapter 9, verse 13, he is describing judgment on Ephraim, and he says, The people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore, the Lord will cut off head and tail, head and tail, from Israel. Now mark that down. Palm branch and bulrush in one day. Now, what is the head of Israel? It is the leader of Israel. The leadership, the elder and the honorable, he is the head. And the prophet who teaches what, class? What is it he teaches? Lies. He is the what? The tail. He is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, And those who are led by them are destroyed. Therefore, the Lord will have no joy in their young men. Now, the tale throughout Scripture is identified as falsehood, deceptive deceptive, uh, teaching, which stings like a scorpion. I believe that what he's saying is that when the rapid spread of evil comes, there will be the rapid spread of untruth and falsehood, which, and it will come from supposed prophets who are like the tales, and these prophets teach lies, and they're part of God's judgment upon the world. And again, that explains what I was saying last Sunday about how important it is that we leave some residual of truth. You know, I was thinking, We've got uh, 18 years of tapes of Bible teaching from this pulpit. If any of you are left when the tribulation time comes, (laughs) you help yourself to those and pass those out and reproduce those as fast as you can. If anybody's stuck, you just keep those tapes and do anything you can with those tapes because there will be such untruth and such deception in the world that those who cling to truth in that day and respond to truth will need all the help that they can get. Now, the fifth thing I want you to understand about the progression of evil in this world is that the growth, the power behind the growth of the forces of evil. Now, if God controls the world and God is the God of wrath and the God of judgment and he pours out judgment in his time, then... The principle is God's principle. Where sin abounds and sin does abound, God can much more abound. But there's a principle here, and I want to show you the principle. It is found, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 26, and in the book of Leviticus, God expresses this principle and warns Israel about it. He says in Leviticus 26, begin with verse 21, He says, or begin in verse 18, he says, If you do not obey me, then I will punish you how many times, class? Seven times more for your sins. Verse 21. If you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you, what is the word? Seven times more plagues. There it is. Verse 23. If by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet, there it is again, seven times for your sins. Verse 27. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, I also will walk contrary to you in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you one more time. Seven times for your sins. Folks, that's an awesome principle. God says every time you refuse to obey me and I speak to you and I give you teaching and you ignore the teaching and you go on and do whatever you want to do, I give you seven times more judgment on seven times, on seven times, on seven times. There's a principle here. All I know about that principle is I thank God that in Jesus Christ all my punishment is put on Christ at the cross. I don't want seven times more punishment, do you? But the principle is that the rejection of God's grace and the rejection of the gospel brings even more judgment. And that's true for us as individuals and it's true of the world. Which is why in Romans 1, God says, look, I did this, I gave you a chance, and, and you, you rejected my chance. And so I gave you up, I gave you up, I gave you up, I gave you up to sin. And the principle is every time you turn your back on God's command and God's grace and God's mercy, he gives seven times more judgment. Can you imagine how judgment is building up on this world? Now I want to tell you, folks, you can do all you want to. You can spend $25 trillion on more policemen. But all you've done is build more chains. You have not changed the human nature. And, be, and you've got to understand today what is happening in our world is God taking away some restraints and letting more and more judgment come out on the world. And in the tribulation period, it will, be, it will consummate in the opening of the abyss and the loosing of all the... And you can see all these characteristics that are found they're already here today. They're just intensifying. They're already here today. I never thought I would see the day that I'm seeing and hearing something. I know, I read that article in the Winston-Salem Journal the other day, said there were more crimes per, per person back in 1932. Yeah, but you didn't have 13-year-old kids shooting guys, shooting their friends. If you want to study the nature of crime and look at the nature of crime, and see how it has grown and how it is abounding. There's a principle here that God is loosing judgment on this in the family, in the family, morally in the family. More and more abused people, more and more hurting people, more and more people simply cannot get their act together. Sin abounds. The consequences of sin abound seven upon seven upon seven upon seven until in the tribulation period. All the forces of hell are loosed on the world. Said, so, "Boy, you're pretty pessimistic, Courts. I'm just trying to be realistic. Thank God, I'm the most optimistic person in the world, because Jesus is going to tie it all together and make it all end. Amen. Got it all in His hand. And if I weren't a Christian, I would be pessimistic, because where in the world would all this come to a conclusion if it weren't for Jesus? The note of our song is triumph. Oh, yes, Christians are the true realists because we understand the nature of sin and crime and violence. It is God's loosing of judgment upon this world. And that grows and grows and grows until the day he completes it. The last thing that we see here is the deception of the forces of evil. THEY HAD AS KING OVER THEM THE ANGEL OF THE BOTTOMLESS PIT, IN VERSE 11, WHOSE NAME is IN HEBREW IS ABADDON, BUT IN GREEK HE HAS THE NAME Apollyon. AND ONE WOE IS PAST. BEHOLD, STILL TWO MORE WOES ARE COMING, AND EVEN AFTER THE SIXTH TRUMPET IS SOUNDED, LOOK IN VERSE 20, THE REST OF MANKIND WHO WERE NOT KILLED BY THESE PLAGUES, AND A THIRD OF THE, of the WORLD IS KILLED DURING THIS TIME, THEY DO NOT REPENT OF THE WORKS OF THEIR HANDS. They still don't repent. They still don't turn. After all of this, men are so deceived, they go right on, do whatever they want to do. Go right on in their sin. And so there's more and more deception. In fact, I believe this is the time that Paul is talking about. Look over in 2 Thessalonians. It's amazing how Paul, working from a completely different perspective from John, could have prophesied something that is now described in chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Revelation. But do you remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? What's the theme of this chapter? It's verse 1, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a prophetic theme. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and our gathering. And see, people have said, oh, things are getting so bad. Maybe Christ has already come and we're in the tribulation. Oh, no, he said. Verse 2, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. Oh, no, no, no. He said it hadn't come yet. Oh, really? The Thessalonian Christian said, yeah. He said, verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day of judgment, that day of Christ will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. See, that's what's going to happen now. The man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed to Israel, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. And we're going to see that he goes into the restored temple and he sets himself up as priest. And Israel is deceived. And he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember when I was with you I told you these things? Now, he said, things are under control until that day for what is restraining is restraining so that he, the man of sin, can be revealed in his own time. And the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And that's the principle. Seven upon seven upon seven. Judgment and, and crime and violence just keeps increasing. Only he who now restrains, verse 7, will do so until he is taken out of the way. And when that lawless one will be revealed, and the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan... And with all unrighteous deception, deception among those who perish. Now, those who are sealed, remember, they won't be touched. But unrighteous deception is among those who perish, in verse 10, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And Israel, God's people will believe the lie that Satan, the Antichrist, is the Christ, the Messiah. And will be deceived. And that will happen in this time. Great deception. You say, why does that happen? If God's in charge of everything, remember two things. Do you remember my message on God's initiative? God initiates and God permits, God is active and God is passive. He allows Satan to pour out his wrath while God accomplishes ultimately his purpose. You say, but I can't believe God would do that. Well, that's the way God works with the world. You know, when I was teaching my children how to ride a bicycle, I didn't say, you kids, you're never going to ride a bike because I'm afraid you might fall and skin yourself, break your arm. So I'm not going to let you ever learn to ride a bike. And so all of my four adult children, none of them know how to ride a bicycle because I protected them. Now, how many of you believe that? You don't believe that. Hey, we've had broken arms. We've had skinned arms. We've had skinned knees. We've had cracked heads. We've had concussions. What a bad parent we are, right? Because we let our children learn to ride a bike, and when they're learning to ride a bike, what's going to happen, class? What's going to happen? There are going to be injuries. Thank God for the emergency room and and health insurance, right? (laughs) God is at work in this world. And sometimes he lets Satan loose to accomplish his purpose. If you understand that, then it will change your perspective on God. And it will change your perspective on evil. Because you know God's in control. God's in charge. He said, well, just show me one specific reference. Okay, I'll do that. Glad you asked. I thought you would never ask. And with this I close. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. And I want to show you a very interesting passage that you can chew on the rest of the week. In Genesis chapter 15, when God is making a promise to Abraham, here's what he says. Verse 12, Genesis 15, 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, "Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land. Your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve the people in that land, and they will afflict them. The people in that land will afflict them 400 years. What a wonderful prophecy. Just thought I'd tell you, Brother Eddie, your children are going to have 20 years of judgment on them. Your boys are going to have 20 years of judgment on them. That's a prophecy. How would you feel? This is God telling Abraham. But now wait. Go on and read. He said, verse 14, And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. But don't worry. Who they serve, what, what nation was it, class? Egypt. I will judge. They will get their just desserts for what they do. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Through that affliction I will make them rich. Eddie, your four boys are going to be all multi-multi-millionaires. And, know, and love God and serve him at the same time. And be able to use all that money for the glory of God. That's, a, that's what he's saying to Abraham. The, your people, your descendants will come out with great possessions. Verse 15. Now, Abram is for you. You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. Why? Why are you doing this, God? Verse 16 for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Look at that. I'm going to do this to your nation because there's a tribe of people in the land that I'm going to give you. And they haven't filled up their cup of sin. I want to give them a little more opportunity. They're going to sin more and more, and their wrath is not complete. And when they have sinned all they're going to sin, and I now have a proper basis for judgment, I'll then let you out of the land where you're going to be serving. I'll bring you out with great possessions, and I'll put you in the land. But what God was doing to Israel was related to what God was doing with the Amorites. And you're going to be down there in Egypt for 400 years because I'm still working with the Amorites over here. You know what that tells me? I'm not worried about crime and violence. Because in the end, God's going to wrap it all up. He's got it in control. And whatever he's allowing to happen to the United States is because God's waiting for something to happen to France or Germany or, I don't know, Australia, Russia. And whatever's happening over there, God's waiting until... He fills up his cup of wrath over here till we've had a chance. And what God is doing in your life, it may be that he's not doing right now because he's working in somebody else's life is going to be very important in your life. And, and every chance God gives you to repent and turn to him, you've got to understand God's in control of conviction. God's in control of judgment. God's in control of wrath. Don't worry about it. He's got it all in his hand. Though it grows and grows and grows, when it's full, I'll cut it off and it's done. <laughs> An American preacher was in a little Bible training institute in West Africa. And West Africans have a way of asking the most plain questions. A young pastor who hadn't been a Christian long looked at the American preacher and said, the Bible says that when Jesus comes, he's going to come with a shout. Tell me what he's going to shout. Tell me what he's going to shout. You know how preachers do while they're thinking, right? Well, you know, you might want to pray about that. And the preacher said, I was absolutely stumped. And the man asked me again, when Jesus Christ returns with a shout, what is he going to shout? Well, you know, I mean, I always announce the king is coming. You know. He looked at him one more time with piercing eyes and said, When Jesus comes, what is he going to shout if he comes with a shout? And the preacher, accustomed to thinking fast on his feet, said, Suddenly it hit me. When Jesus Christ comes and descends to this earth, you know what he's going to shout? He's going to shout, enough, enough, (laughs) enough sin, enough murder, enough family breakup, enough hunger, enough war, enough is enough, and it's all over, and I've come to set it straight. You know, that's not bad. When he comes, he's going to say, enough. Enough. stand in prayer. Father in heaven, trying to understand our world, trying to understand how a God of grace and mercy is at work in this world, trying to understand cancer, trying to understand sin, crime and violence, Is a constant challenge to thinking Christian people committed to your sovereignty. But, oh, God, keep giving us insight so we understand ourselves in relation to the world about us. And if there are people here who've never been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who took our punishment, our judgment for us, say to them by thy spirit today, enough, they've run from you long enough. They said, no, they've quenched you long enough and draw them to thyself. Speak to Christians who are trying to figure out what's going on in this world and remind them that one day you're coming and you're going to say, enough. Help us, Lord, to be faithful, wholly committed, completely trusting of where you're going with this world as we live day by day according to your will in Jesus' name. Amen.